Now, let me get this straight. When my Dodge goes over a million miles, you give me that car? Well, first we want to film your car crossing the one million mile mark. But after that, Mr. Bundy, the Viper is yours. <laughs> oh, Peg, I'm so happy I, I could shake your hand. Let's rock. I get a open. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Well, welcome back to the Married with Children podcast here in the nudie bar, down under, mate, here in Australia. And today we are reviewing Season 8, Episode 18, Get Out of Dodge. Original air date, 20th of February, 1994. Written by Mark Driscoll. Directed by Sam W. Orenda. Guest starring Todd Sussman as Bill Ellis. Stephanie Riddell as Lisa Pruner. Richard Assad as Fanatic, or according to IMDb, Islamic Fanatic Number 1. Michael Hagiwara as Japanese Businessman, or Businessman. Bert L. Crook, from the staff, as Criminal. David Graubard as Mobster. William Buxton as Wino Guy. And Marai R. Ayres as Wino Gal. My name is Matt, and my car is 888,153 miles off a new Mazda, I mean Dodge. And my name is Annabelle, and I'm hot on the trail of this weird guy named Waldo. Have you seen him? Oh, no, Annabelle. You laughed at the Dodge. You mocked the Dodge. She shot the Dodge, but she didn't shoot the deputy. What does that mean? I don't know, Annabelle. I'm just babbling like this because I'm staring at her cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is my uh, my first time here at the, the nudie bar here in Australia, and uh, I have to say it's pretty cool. Uh, these Aussie girls are pretty good. Not not bad. Why, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Uh, thank, th- oh, thank you, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, help yourself to a VB or any other brand of Australian beer you can think of that isn't Foster's. Yes, we got both um, Emu Export from my city of Perth and West End Draft from Annisville, city of Adelaide. There you go. <laughs> I'll give it a try while I'm here for sure, man. Mate, I should say. <laughs> yeah, no problem, Cobber. Matt, I noticed something when you said um, Bert L. Cook's name in the guest class. I think you said Crook, but he's playing a criminal. So it fit. <laughs> uh, Bertel Cook, Bertel Crook, uh, if you ever listen to this, um, I'm assuming you're still with us, um, Mr. Cook. I uh, hope, hope you don't take any offence. Uh, I'm sure you won't. Freudian slip. Tonight, it's the final night of Fox's Wild Adventures in Paradise. First, Al searching for a new topless model. Nice headlights. Beautiful body. Married with children. I like the car too. Then George comes face to face with a supermodel. Right now, there are about seven things going on inside of my body. Three of them I don't even recognize. The George Carlin Show. Plus, party with Holly Shore and Pamela Anderson. And catch a live performance by David Lee Roth. It's a night of all new episodes starting tonight at 9, 8 central. Yeah, so this episode um, is called Get Out of Dodge, which is a reference to Get Out of Dodge. An American saying meaning to leave, especially to leave a difficult or dangerous environment with all possible haste. A likely reference to Dodge City in Kansas, 
and the radio and TV series Gunsmoke, on the radio between 1952 and 1961, and on the television between 1955 and 1975, which, at the time it was on, was the longest-running series on television, which has now since, since been surpassed by The Simpsons. Longest weekly television series it is, excluding soap operas. IMDb Summary Bud sends poor Kelly on a wild goose chase to find Waldo, or Wally, so that he can have run of the house making out of a wayward blonde. Meanwhile, with nearly a million miles on the family jalopy's clock, Al gets an incredible offer from the Dodge Company for a brand new Viper. Yeah, I said Waldo at the start, didn't I? I should have said I'm hot on the trail of some weird guy named Wally in Australia, or at least outside of North America. He's known as Where's Wally, not Waldo. Yes. I mean, because he was created in the UK by a man called Martin Hanford, so his original name is Wally. So, Where's Wally, or Where's Waldo to North Americans, is a British series of children's puzzle books created by, as I mentioned, Martin Hanford. They consist of a series of detailed double-page spread illustrations depicting many people in one scene, doing a variety of amusing things. What The reader, you're meant to basically look for Wally in the group. So, Wally, Wally, Walter, whatever. He's identified by a red and white striped shirt, same coloured bubble hat and glasses, but many of the illustrations contain characters looking similar to him, and you've also got um, a whole Wally family. Wanda, White Beard, his dog Wolf, the enemy Oddlaw. It was a TV show, video games. Uh, I remember watching a TV show when I was a little boy um, here in Australia. And... Uh, the reason why it's called Waldo over in the U.S. is because um, when when it was, Wally was brought to the U.S.A., some of the U.S. thought that Wally sounded too much like Willie, so hence why it's called Waldo. I mean, come on, guys. That's why he's called it, because I thought Wally sounded too much like Willie. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, uh, I never knew that until I was reading the notes uh, yesterday about the Waldo-Wally thing. Tell me if you guys have noticed this. I don't know if this is something in the U.S. or if it's something... It's gone international, but they're starting to make these Where's Waldo shirts now. Have you guys seen these? Uh, where it's literally like a, uh, you know, like a page out of the book where you have to find Waldo on someone's shirt. Have you guys seen that? Oh, I don't think I have. No, I can't and say I have either. Yeah, it's, it's not as hard as the books, though. <laughs> I, think, I, I think the reason why is because they don't want someone to walk up behind someone and stand that close to them. <laughs> Yeah, it'll it'll have Waldo, and then it'll have like probably you know fifteen or twenty people around them or something like that. It won't have like a hundred people around it like some of the books where it's super hard, but kind of cool. <laughs> something to do when you're standing in line or something. <laughs> yeah, not something you can do in this day and age with the social distancing. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I could see that with all the fights we see on videos and stuff. No, <laughs> someone somebody get. Somebody getting too, you know, too close, and they're like, "Well, officer, I was just trying to find Waldo, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Wally." <laughs> so the episode starts with Bud walking into a roar of applause, and he's got a date. Well, here we are, my dear, Casa de Bunday, <laughs> otherwise known as uh, Home of the Whopper. 
I'm sure most of you know, but for those who don't, the Whopper is a signature um, sandwich, burger, whatever, from Burger King, or as we call it in Australia, Hungry Jacks, because of legal issues. Because basically, when Burger King came to Australia, um, there was already a little Burger King somewhere in the country, and the name was already taken. So, they named it Hungry Jacks after Jack Cowan, the man who brought it over here. And the very first one actually opened right here in Perth, in a suburb called Innerloo. Yes, we've got an Innerloo. <laughs> hey guys, you you guys aren't going to believe this, but I actually had that Burger King Hungry Jack story in my personal notes. I I don't know if I told you guys this, but I've been to Australia before. I went to Sydney uh, two years ago, spent about ten days there, and one of the very first things I noticed when I pulled out of the airport because I I rented a car, you know, to get around. One of the very first things I noticed when I pulled out of the airport was the Hungry Jack, and I I was like or Hungry Jacks. I was like, what's up with this? That looks like the Burger King logo. And I kept seeing them every, I kept seeing those things everywhere. So I actually Googled it. I had to look it up. I was like, I got to see what's going on with this Hungry Jacks because I swear it looks like Burger King. But uh, yeah, I, I totally read that story. I thought it was pretty funny. I wonder how many other businesses there are, you know, and there might be some businesses that we have, you know, that we use different names because of legal issues, you know. But Bud is referring to something else when he says home of the Whopper. Oh, I think yeah. he is. Well, considering that his parents are all the way Milwaukee with Oprah's on a Fatapalooza tour, uh, which is a reference to Lollapalooza, the four-day music festival in Chicago, Illinois, at Grant Park, formed in 1991 by Jane's Addiction singer Perry Farrell as a farewell tour for his band, ran till 97, came back in 2003, and uh, toured North America from a late 19th century, early 20th century, American idiomatic phrase saying, an extraordinary or unusual thing, person or event, an exceptional example or instance. What if your parents come in? Relax, babe. They're in Milwaukee. It's the first stop on Oprah's Fatapalooza tour. (laughs) They're displaying the weight she lost in giant glass jars. Many giant glass jars. They're taking the Dodge. It's actually Dodge and Stein, made from the parts of other dead Dodges. Say me and you slip out of these dry clothes and into a wet me and you. So Bud claps his hands. Lonely Boy by Paul Anka starts playing. Looks like Bud's going to finally get his kiss and, well, something a little bit more, isn't he? Yes, and this is not the first time we've heard Lonely Boy this season. No, no, no. And we have discussed music before in the podcast this season, but Lonely Boy is certainly one of the favourites of season eight that gets used, well, in this episode, and, and I'm proud to be your bud in the third episode this season. That uh, that clap on, clap off thing that they're using, guys, uh, was that big in Australia? Because it was huge in the United States during this period. And uh, I remember my family had one, but I, I swear we must have gotten the one from Walmart or something. Like yeah, the cheap version, because <laughs> I was never worked. We, I mean, we had to sit there and clap. I mean, you had to clap as hard as could three or four times to get the light to go on and off. <laughs> clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off. The clapper. Let you turn things on or off from anywhere in the room. Just plug in the clapper and a television, lamp, stereo, almost anything you want to clap on and off. Clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off. The Clapper is now available at Thrifty Drug. Get yours today. Makes a great gift. Was well, that big uh, there in Australia? 
Well, I don't think it was real. I can't speak for everybody, but I don't think it was really a thing here. We know it more of it because of American television and people referring to clappers and, and clapping. And I think at least that's how I know of it. If we do have it here, I certainly never had one. But because of American TV, especially sitcoms and shows like this, I know what the clapper is. Okay. Yeah, we definitely had one, uh, and we we definitely had the cheap version. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work very well, I'll put it that way. <laughs> right. No clappers for me and my family either. <laughs> you didn't miss much, truthfully. I mean, it was like it was one of those one-year-long fads. I mean, this is what nineteen ninety-four. So this yeah. was a short little fat fad that uh, everybody had for a year, and it's just like now it's in like the dustbin of history. <laughs> <laughs> but what if your sister comes in? Oh, I wouldn't worry about her. I've given her a little task. Waldo. <laughs> He's not in the garage. That much we know. Hey, you just keep looking, Kel. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I know. Maybe he's upstairs. Maybe so. Maybe no. That's what makes Finding Waldo such a great game. Yeah, well, he can run, but he can't hide. Because no one can outsmart me once I start using the old gray mattress. <laughs> That's my sister, Kelly. She's, uh, very special. <laughs> So just as just when Bud is going for his kiss after he dismisses Kelly as being special, oh, the door opens and it's Alan Pegg. Last time I got caught like this, I was grounded for six months and the team couldn't go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> you can't get caught. Come here. Listen, why don't we put those pretty little lips to something more useful, like me? I am telling your father. Can't get caught, huh? <laughs> and Al does one of his um, most famous quotes, at least for me in the series. Women can't live with them. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like his date's line about the last time she got caught. She was grounded for a month and the team couldn't go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Did you notice the, the audience didn't laugh very much from that? And then, and, then they, and then they sort of got it. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought that was pretty funny. but uh, Yeah. You know something that Luigi and I have spoken about? I don't know if you guys talk about it a lot, but... Uh, it's kind of funny, at this point in the series, Bud is getting girlfriends on pretty regular occasion, or at least semi-regular occasion, you know, but they mm. keep making the joke that he can't get a girl, which still works. I mean, you know, if the joke works, uh, you know, milk it dry, it's still funny, but it's like, it's, it's like, man, he's getting girls on semi-regular occasion now. Yeah, we have touched on it. We did mention uh, that, you know, around this time, this is when Bud sort of became really quite good looking and you've got an episode like your podcast episode with Luigi, Proud to Be Your Bud, where you've got, you sort of have to explain why Bud can't get girls. You know, he's, yes, he's, he's short, <laughs> but that's not a deal breaker, especially not for Faustino. 
you know, Bud's got to have an odious personality or something or, you know, his lack of tact or his approach. So they have to keep finding ways for him not make it believable that he doesn't, he isn't great with girls. And it does work, doesn't yeah. it? But David Faustino as a person is actually very good looking, I find, as he got older. The fact that he's getting some girls is believable, but at the same time, it's Bud. He's a Bundy. He's not going to do well. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. You make a good point. He he gets the girl, but he usually, you know, screws it up somehow before he scores ultimately, you know. Yeah. He somehow screws it up. <laughs> or something, you know, fate screws it up for him in one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Fate or another family member or something. Yeah. Or in this case, it's Alan Pegg because they got home from Milwaukee because, well, the Dodgenstein, which is made from parts of a dead Dodgers, a reference to Frankenstein's monster. Well, your father hit a speed bump and the Dodge couldn't make it to the top. <laughs> it was awful, bud. We rolled backwards, uncontrollably, sometimes reaching speeds upwards of two miles an hour. <laughs> Fortunately, we were jolted to a halt by an anthill. Grand speed of two miles an hour or three kilometers an hour. It sounds like she's not too fond of the Dodge. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, according to Peggy, um... You know, Peg, I'm starting to sense you're not too fond of the Dodge. <laughs> no, Al. I'm not too fond of war and injustice. I freaking hate the Dodge. <laughs> and if you could see it forward to 2020, I think Peggy would probably say it was worse than coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> So Peggy wants Al to sell the Dodge. Sell the Dodge. My Dodge. <laughs> I will never sell the Dodge, Peg. That car is tied up with some of the greatest memories of my life. Why, who can forget the tailgate party before the Bears championship game? Oh, the game we missed because the engine caught on fire? <laughs> okay, well, how about the Christmas at the lake? You mean Christmas in the lake. <laughs> when the brakes failed. <laughs> Fine. Well, how did you get to the hospital when Bud was born? Taxi. <laughs> and why? Because I drove to the pool hall in the Dodge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was resistant to selling the Dodge. What is wrong with getting a slightly newer car? I hear they're coming with all these new fancy options these days. You know, like dashboards and paint. <laughs> Just more things to go wrong. And newer cars have features like dashboards and paint. Oh, like they did in 1974 or 1971, I should say. Uh, yes, Peg, you obviously don't know your cars that well. Al's car isn't that bad. I mean, look how far cars have come since this was filmed. Yeah, she knows as much about cars uh, probably about as I do. I mean, they have, they have changed a lot since 1994. Um, at least here in Australia, they still made um, cars that had dashboard-mounted handbrakes or umbrella handbrakes back in 94. <laughs> wow. The, the Ford Falcon. In fact, 94 was the year they changed them over. For your information, Americans, basically a larger family-sized car. They still had those old-fashioned handbrakes until then, so in that case, 94 was a, a bit of a holdout over there. You can nag, you can cry, you can whinny, bleat, and moo, but I will never sell the Dodge. Finally selling the Dodge, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like giving up one of your children, but none of the joy. Al wants to sell his car for $4,000, which is $6,993.28, Australian $9,648.70, 
Get out, Al. Used car of indeterminate year. <laughs> Forced to sell by used wife. <laughs> also of indeterminate year. $4,000. <laughs> what? You don't think I can get $4,000? I don't think you could get dollars. <laughs> Of an indeterminate year car, yeah, my car, which is only which is fourteen years old now, uh, that would only be worth like four thousand dollars Australian. So no, Al, you're not going to get four grand American for that car. <laughs> I'm glad you said that and did the conversion because I was going to ask. I was like, just out of curiosity, would someone in Australia pay that for his Dodge? No, I, mean, I would. I would assume the answer, the obvious answer is no, because <laughs> it's a hunk of junk. I mean, nobody in the United States would pay four thousand for it. Unless they, I mean, you might find someone who is just happens to be a, a collector of you know old cars, but you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that would. Even at that, I think it'd be hard pressed to find someone that paid four thousand for it. <laughs> My current car is worth less than that, but stay tuned to season ten. There's a certain episode where our car is of interest to somebody. Ah. Yes, that one. <laughs> By the way, I, I, another thing I thought that was funny here is when Al lists his car, wouldn't he realize just by common sense that a car having 999,000 miles on it is special and it's kind of a big deal? Like, it shouldn't take the Dodge dealership to come talk to him about it to let him know. I mean, 999,000, I don't know what the conversion in on that for, you know, uh, kilometers is, but jeez. That's like my my first car I ever had when I finally traded it in. It had uh, two hundred and eighty thousand miles on it, which was a lot of miles. Like I thought that was a huge deal. I was running around telling everyone that would listen that my car had two hundred and eighty thousand miles on it. Al's has nine hundred ninety nine thousand on it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a lot because my car now is less than two hundred kilometers. There'll be even fewer in miles. So. Yeah, and I drive around every day for work and stuff, so it's going to take me a long time to reach that much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't even think it's. Po I mean, in real life, and, and you'd be on probably your third engine by then to get. You would. <laughs> you know? you have to be. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, even if you babied it, and I mean, just got the oil changed every single day, and did all these things, I still don't think you'd make it to nine hundred ninety-nine thousand miles on it on the original engine. I just, I just don't think it's possible. <laughs> I mean, my car's only got 180,000 kilometers or 112,000 miles, and believe me, uh, that's on its first engine, 14 years old. I've put a good 100k in kilometers on it myself, uh, so yes. And, and also, regarding the value of a car, um, most cars in Australia of that vintage early 70s tend to be basically bangers or rust buckets or in really, really good nick, so... The equivalent of Al's Dodge here in Australia would um, basically be worth about $500 or $50,000. It's basically one or the other. There's not much of an in-between these days. Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it would be either a complete piece of junk that somebody would buy for 500 bucks, or you'd find somebody that would be into restoring old cars, basically. And they'd be like, yeah, I'll give you 40000 for it or something like that. You know, I totally get what you're saying, and I think it'd be the same thing here. Now, the 50000 would be for one that's already been restored, because basically a lot of the cars of that vintage here are basically in really, really good nick already, or are basically rust buckets. So most of them are basically, the, the few that are left are basically in really, really good nick and, and are worth a pretty penny. 
Let me tell you something. I'm a salesman, consequently I know sales. And when this ad hits the papers, baby, they'll be lined up around the block. Trust me. There's a lot of information we could mine about Al's Dodge, and you know, including the fact that it's not technically a Dodge. I mean, this seems like a pretty good episode to get into some of it, but there's a very good episode in season nine, which is about the car coming out of the car wash in its original color, which would probably fit better there, but there's also, that's also the 200th episode, so there'll be a lot to discuss. All I will say, there's a lot of information on the Married with Children wiki about the car, like all the people who know 10,000 times as much more than I do about cars have written stuff up on it. We've also got an episode in season 10 about, um, which also relates to Al's Dodge 2, we could cover some of that there as well. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, I, um, first of all, I, I don't think I said this in the beginning, but thank you for allowing me to join you guys on this podcast, this episode. Uh, this is one of my favorites in the series, and it's uh, it, it's one of those that you can reference to, to any Married with Children fan, and they're going to know right away the episode you're talking about. Just say the Million Mile Dodge episode, <laughs> you know, and they're going to know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, you know. You know, I'm not a car guy myself, but uh, there's just something about the way the show portrays Dodges, or the Dodge, referring to Al's Dodge. That's hilarious, you know. I mean, over the years we've seen it, you know, he's got, you know, he uses a screwdriver as a as the key to start it. <laughs> you know, he has a, he has a, a rag there as the gas cap, <laughs> which, which obviously would never pass inspection. Are, are, are inspections pretty strict? Are they a big deal there in Australia as far as getting your car inspected every year? Oh, I do get mine checked every year. Uh, my dad <laughs> makes me do it every six months. I'm like, no, 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 year is fine. It's a 23-year-old Japanese car. It's fine. But, yeah, it is a, a big deal. Like, you just go to your dealership or wherever you bought the car and they just tune it up. For a while after you buy it, it's still on the warranty. So a lot of the services is done cheaper or if not for free. I mean, I just recently had my – very recently had my airbag replaced because there was a big recall in, in Toyotas, and they just did all of them just to make sure, and they did it for free, stuff like that. So that's all right. Okay. Yeah, uh, inspections are kind of a big deal here. Uh, they've gotten really big, especially with all the emissions testing and things like that. And um, if you're like me, like I, I usually drive cars until they basically fall apart or they, they don't pass inspection anymore. I mentioned my first car earlier. It had 280000 on it when I finally got rid of it. And the only reason I, I finally bought a new car was because the old car couldn't pass inspection anymore. <laughs> and it was going to get – I mean, it's kind of funny because the car ran great, and its body was in great shape, its interior was in great shape, but it had some serious emissions problem, and it was going to cost – like they were quoting me, I was getting quotes anywhere from fifteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars to get the catalytic converter replaced and do all these things for the emissions and all this stuff. And I was just like, ah, a car that you know that has that many miles on it, it's not worth putting that amount of money in it. But yeah, inspection's pretty big uh, deal here. But anyways, yeah, this is a pretty famous episode. You know, it, it's one that everybody knows about. And uh, you know, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Oh, well, you're very welcome. Not a problem at all. Happy to have you with us um, tonight down here in, in Australia. Yeah, we like mixing it up, having different um, guests and people jumping ship to other podcasts and God knows what. Yeah, of course you're welcome. And you said this is your one of your favourites. And there's been quite a bit of interest in this episode, I think, probably to my pleasant surprise. But 
yeah, like you say, it's it's sort of famous. I suppose I've never really considered it to be a, f- a famous episode like that, if you know what I mean. But it is a pretty big deal if your car's got that many miles on it. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's easy to to reference. Like I, I don't think there's many people that will say this is their favorite, their absolute favorite. But it's easy to reference. You can say the million mile yeah. episode or the ep- the episode where Al's car passes a million miles. And there's not a Married with Children fan on Earth that's not going to know the episode you're talking about. It's easy to reference, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Definitely. It's one that's always stuck out with me over the years. I've been a fan. Uh, it's one I've always um, stuck in my mind. Uh, when I revisited the show a few years ago, when I came off what we call a P-plates or provisionary license, going to a full license, I actually watched that and it's rewatched the episode on the day that it happened. I, I timed it deliberately. So one that's always stuck with me and for very good reasons yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hi. Uh, we're a couple of winos. <clears throat> we don't want to drink and drive. So we want to buy a Dodge. <laughs> Here's your 40 bucks. 40? Huh? We're supposed to say 4,000. Hey, we're not that drunk. <laughs> yes and then we get the second buyer does your trunk leak (laughs) well or as we say in australia boot (laughs) did you notice he's got a dead body over his shoulder like literally you can see the shoes Uh, I saw that too. I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't carry the body with them while they're good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but they would carry the gun, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, hey, this is the United States. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> True. Everybody walks around with a gun. Come on, this is the United States. Come on. <laughs> well, how about the next people, the terrorists? <laughs> <laughs> We've no time to haggle. We want car in directions to Sears Tower. It's forty dollars. This yep. was just about just about a year before the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, which uh, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are. I'm sure that made international news, but uh, in the U.S. that was a pretty big new, uh, pretty big deal. Um, it uh, actually into basically a, a you know, a domestic terrorist, a couple of domestic terrorists blew up a, uh, a building in Oklahoma City, which is just north, uh, Oklahoma is just north of Texas where I live, but they rented a, a rider truck and put the bomb inside the truck and, and, you know, just basically parked the truck right in front of the building. And it killed, uh, I can't even remember, I think it was about, I think it was seven or 800 people. I'd have to look it up. But uh, up until 9-11, it was the biggest... Uh, terror attack uh on u.s soil in in the history of the country you know uh, and it's still uh, still a really big deal you know uh, it was yeah, a really had, really bad terror attack i had heard of it but like you say 9-11 kind of erased the memory of that so to speak yeah i just looked it up then it happened in 95 so about a year after this episode so i'm just wondering if if maybe any reruns around that time had that scene cut out like they would after 9-11 but I didn't watch the show at the time, and I'm not in America, so I don't know. 
It, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I was a kid at the time, and I would, when, whenever the Oklahoma City bombing took place, I was uh, just about to turn 11 years old. Uh, and it was one of the first, um, one, one of the first stories that I kind of remember and followed as a kid. You know, when you're a kid, you don't normally follow the news much. Prob- in fact, I think I posted about this just the other day on Facebook. I think the first news story I ever remember was when Magic Johnson retired due to HIV. Mm. Um, and then probably, and I, again, I don't know how big that was in Australia, but it's pretty big here. Um, and the second story I, I, I know you guys know is, uh, the OJ Simpson saga, yes. <laughs> you know, between, oh, yes. uh, you know, between the Bronco chase and then the, you know, the trial and his acquittal and all that, that was the second big story. And then the Oklahoma city bombing is the third big story that I remember, you know, from my childhood. It was pretty big deal even as a 10 11 year old it was something we all knew about you know yeah because when i saw your post i was racking my brain to think what was the earliest one i could remember but i think the berlin wall coming down i certainly remember seeing that on the news then after that i'm sort of struggling to think i mean maybe something about the gulf war or i don't know and then i'm trying to think who who died around then so i was looking it up here uh i i overestimated quite a bit on the number of deaths uh but it was uh, it was it was 168 people at least that were killed it says and uh, injured 680 others so it's pretty bad i mean it was that's killed, pretty good yeah a, yeah killed 168 people you know of course like you said it, it kind of got overshadowed by 9-11 where you know 3,000 people died but yeah it's still a lot still pretty bad 168 people killed from a black a homemade blast you know Mm. Nice. I remember where I was when I was when 9/11 happened because I was watching a tape. Remember tapes? And yes, I pressed yeah. I pressed stop, and it was all over the news. I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, events before then, it's sort of I'm hard to I'm struggling to think of something other than Princess Diana dying. That would have been a shock for you, Anna. As for me, I mean, I remember oh, I was at my nan and pop's house wait, as it was waiting to go to school back then, and uh, I was wondering, "Where's Dragon Ball Z? Where's my morning cartoons?" And I turned on the TV to find basically nothing but news on every single channel not kidding i was 10 at the time so uh i didn't really get what was going on aside from a bomb or plane hitting the the world trade center um so i was like at the time i was just upset that my morning cartoons weren't on but that's 10 year olds for you and the first the first news stories i really remember uh uh, let's see would have been 1999 where uh we had a referendum here in australia and internationally probably a conflict over nearby east timor those are the two big big stories that I remember from my youth. Um, so sadly, not old, not old to remember O.J. Simpson or Oklahoma City or the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, which um, I think the um, writers probably referenced here because it was literally about, about a year before this episode aired on February 26, 1993. There was a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center which a truck bomb detonated blow to the North Tower, killing six, injuring over a thousand. So the terrorists in this scene are asking for directions to the Sears Tower, and they also offer forty dollars. So I think it was probably a reference to the um, the World Trade Center bombing of the previous year. Hence, why I mentioned us for the Sears Tower, which is now the Willis Tower. Yes, I think you're right. I was just wondering if, um, <laughs> well, interesting they make a joke about that so soon, but we know that that scene was cut from syndication for a short while after nine eleven, but it was on the DVDs. Yes, yes, I watched it today, so I can verify it's on the DVD. Yeah, it's on. It's back on streaming too. Yeah, it's definitely on the DVD because that's where I watched it. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, that, that Sears Tower actually was the tallest building in the world for for a good stretch. Uh, the the company I work for actually is headquartered in the Willis Tower, uh, which you mentioned is now the name of the of the Sears Tower. You know, and it's uh, if you ever get a chance to visit Chicago uh, in the United States, you'll you'll really really like it. It's a really big building. You can see from a long ways away. Put it that way. <laughs> Oh, we'll be making it, going over to Chicago one of these days, believe me. Um, I would happily visit Chicago to visit the Buckingham Fountain alone. Oh, me too. And there's one more potential customer for Al's Dodge. Dodge. American <laughs> motor car. <laughs> but basically, poor Al, he can't sell to the mafia, he can't sell to the terrorists, he can't sell to a businessman, and he can't sell to winos. So, as Peggy says, the blind don't drive. So, poor Al isn't get, having much luck selling his car, is he? No, he can't even sell it to Kelly, he's looking for a completely different guy. <laughs> no! Uh, too bad, uh, you know, uh, Annabelle, it just dawned on me the episode you're referring to later, uh, not the car wash episode, but the episode where uh, Marcy's boss at mm. the bank uh, wants to buy her car. Yep. Um, too bad he didn't come to uh, to want to buy it, man. He would have he would have given her what was it twenty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand? I think is what he offered. Yeah. In se- season ten, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he had the money to pay if he was gonna oh, pay, yeah, pay anything. Got, but <laughs> yeah, he he's got money. He would have bought it, man. <laughs> a man called, man named Bill Ellis from Dodge. Uh, oh, he, he managed to finally notice Al's car. Advertisement. Notice that it has over 999,990 miles. We just need to verify a couple of things about your ad. Oh, no, listen, I know what you're going to say, but it wasn't my fault. I clearly told them, seat, comma, then belts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that's not important. I didn't think so either. Come on. <laughs> With its seat, comma, then belts. So wait, Mr. Mr. Ellis um, from the Dodge Corporation, which is actually a division of the Chrysler Corporation, and Dodge is still being made today. You can buy some Dodges here in Australia, and they're manufactured by FCA US LLC, or the formerly known as the Fiat Chrysler Group LLC, based in Auburn Hills in Michigan. They currently include performance cars, although Dodge for many, many moons was the mid-priced brand of Chrysler above the entry-level Plymouth. And as a lot of you would already know, Al's Dodge is actually a Plymouth Duster, which makes sense if Plymouth, because given that Plymouth is meant to be the entry level or low, low tier cars. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a Plymouth Duster and not a, a Dodge Dart as, as first thought. Like I said, there's a lot of information on Wikipedia, on the Married Children Wiki about this, and on other sites as well, of course. It's, it's a Plymouth, it's not a Dodge, but they are owned by the same company. That's what I'm getting from that. Is that right? Yes, yes. And, uh, you couldn't buy them here in you couldn't buy those cars here in Australia anyway. We had similar ones anyway. Um, if you're interested, people look up uh, Chrysler Valiant, Ford Falcon, Holden Kingswood. Enjoy. The, you know what my theory is on that, and I'll try to make this brief. But my theory on why the show refers to the Plymouth as a Dodge instead of just going with a regular Dodge is, I, I think first of all, I think they were probably looking for a specific look as far as what they wanted Al's junk car to look like and they just landed on that Plymouth Duster and I think the reason why they didn't just simply call it a Plymouth is all semantics I think it's just when you're reading when you're going through a script or you know when you're reading your lines and then actually performing them on stage I think it's just easier to say Dodge than it is Plymouth (laughs) 
like damn Dodge or damn Plymouth or whatever, you know, one syllable versus two. And also Dodge <laughs> is much more well known than Plymouth. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Everybody, as far as a brand name goes, it may be owned by the same company, but branding wise, everybody knows what a Dodge is. But honestly, if it weren't for this show, I wouldn't. I probably would have never heard of the brand name Plymouth for a car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nah. So yeah. so so whenever whenever a, a random person, you know, like in the episode where they don't have car insurance and and the guy hits the car and goes, "Damn Dodge." <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a funnier name. Yeah, it, it works. Just, it just sounds better than "Damn Plymouth," just semantics wise. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I honestly yeah. think I like. Sometimes I think we overthink stuff and overcomplicate it. I think it just has more to do with that. This particular car had the look that they want, and Dodge sounds better and is easier to say than Plymouth is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got to drive car enthusiasts and car anorexics crazy. But to us, I mean, obviously, we've mentioned before on the podcast, years ago, they did not think that people would be dissecting every little minute detail in the future for a podcast or whatever, just breaking it down. But like you say, it completely dodges. It's it's a great word, and it's sort of a funny word as well, a little bit. And it, and it just works for like a junk car that, like you said, that our needs. And it's interesting, it is a Plymouth, because in that 200th episode in Season 9, which incidentally is called Get the Dodge Out of Hell, Al says, I don't want a Plymouth peg, I want a Dodge, Dagnabbit. <laughs> nice alliteration there, Al. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. Is it true she's gone over 999,000 miles? <laughs> <laughs> He means the car, you will be. <laughs> Vildebeest or Vildebeest, also called the Nu, is an antelope in the genus Conochates. Vildebeest is Dutch for wild beast. This is something very special to us. You, Mr. Bundy, are very special to us, and we want to be there on that momentous occasion when your odometer reads all zeros. You mean you want us to be in a commercial? Yes. Oh, fine. A lot of free publicity for you guys. What's in it for us? A 1994 Dodge Viper. Which is a U.S. sports car manufactured between 1991 and 2017, aside from brief hiatuses in 07 and 2010 through 12, and was pretty gutsy. A V10 engine, 8 litres, 6-speed stick or manual... 400 horsepower, 298 kilowatts, so pretty expensive to run. So naturally, of course, Al would want that sort of car. In that scene where they announce the Viper, when the scene flips, I don't know if it's a goof or not, but you can see a microphone above Alan Pegg's head when he says a 1994 Dodge Viper. The microphone then disappears. I think it is uh, an error because even though you, it, you can argue that they're on a set, but, yeah, I don't think that microphone was meant to be over their heads. Agreed. I'm sure it was just one of those little slip-ups that you see occasionally on, on, t- on TV and closed sets. Um, you see it in quite a few shows. You've got that one episode where you see, oh, yeah. oh the boom mic's hanging. Oh, there's salt. Oh, I see the edge of the set. <laughs> like, oh, we see people throwing tumbleweeds into living rooms. Yes! Now, let me get this straight. When my Dodge goes over a million miles, you give me that car? Well... 
First, we want to film your car crossing the one million mile mark. But after that, Mr. Bundy, the Viper is yours. <laughs> oh, Peg, I'm so happy I, I could shake your hand. Al, it only has two seats. What about the kids? It's got a trunk. <laughs> So the, the condition is that the car needs to be, actually has photographic solid evidence on, on video, film, whatever, going over one million miles. You, you, know, you know what's funny about this is, is of course, this enti- we've already mentioned that this entire scenario is totally and completely crazy because a car could never make it one million miles. But in real life, I, I think that the, the dealership would just say, hey, give us the the Dodge right now and we'll give you the, we'll give you the Viper right now. <laughs> yeah. They would, they would take it to their lot, wherever their studio or set is or whatever, and record it going over a million themselves. That way they would know they, they have it. You know what I mean? If, if it's that important to them that they want to get it in the commercial, they wouldn't trust Al to be able to do it without, because I mean, what if he, what if he pulled out of the parking lot here and wrecked the car? Or what if he, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, any any number of scenarios could have happened, other could have went wrong other than what went wrong, you know? But it's like, now that I'm, you know, I never really thought about this, I guess. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think they would, you know, the day they met him, they would confirm that it had 999,000 miles on it. And they'd say, okay, give it to us and we'll give you the Viper right now. And, of course, Al would have taken made the trade, you know? <laughs> but, anyways, that's my thought on it. I think Ed O'Neill himself drove a Viper around this time. I could have sworn I had a picture, but I can't find it. He did have a Viper at one point. I suspect it was right around this time, about 94, 95. Depends when it came out, I guess, because he always had the the most fancy cars or, you know, the newest car fresh off the lot, the most expensive car. That's our Ed. Oh, yeah. Speaking of family, who's going to play my young blonde wife in the commercial? Hey, what about me? Well, you don't play my wife in real life. <laughs> Besides, you hated the Dodge. I did not. Weren't you the one that got me the license plate holder that said I'd rather be driving? No. That just shows you how close I am to the Dodge. We kid like that all the time. Oh, no, Peg. You laughed at the Dodge. You mocked the Dodge. She shot the Dodge, but she didn't shoot the deputy. mean? I don't know, Peg. I'm just babbling like this because I'm staring at her cleavage. (laughs) (laughs) She shot the Dodge, but she didn't shoot the deputy. What does he mean by that? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Annabelle, uh, because that is, of course, a classic song, I Shot the Sheriff, originally written by Bob Marley, released by his band Bob Marley and the Whalers in the good old year of 1973. So, older than Bud, younger than Kelly, and it's been covered by many, many times and used in many, many films, TV shows, clips on the internet, uh, over the years. So, once you get to a certain point in life, you're bound to come across that song. And it's still a banger. It is, it is. What about Marcy and Jefferson's car? That's, that's, that's another story altogether. Oh, man, what a car. <laughs> Where is it? It's in the shop. <laughs> oh, no, oh, the European car that they so, so don't want them to drive. <laughs> yes. Well, I still say a foreign car is the way to go. You've got to see the new pictures they sent of ours. 
Here's the diagnostic crew waving at us. In front of the big box, they're going to send it back to Stuttgart in. Stuttgart is a southwestern German city, which is where Mercedes-Benz and Porsche have their headquarters. Well, Marcy's been known to drive a Mercedes in previous episodes, so it's most likely a Mercedes and not a Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> Peggy, what's going on? Al has been driving up and down the street for 12 hours. Well, the Dodge people told him that when his odometer hit all nines, to call them and they'd send out a camera crew. So, much like in bed, Al wants to get it over with as quickly as possible. <laughs> 12 hours. Yeah, I got something funny to say about this. So, first of all, it's hilarious that we're to believe that Al drove up and down the block for 12 hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And second, now here's another funny thing, and a logical thing here. So, Al pulls into, uh, up at the house with... 999,999 miles and nine-tenths. What the hell would he have done if he ended up, you know, a mile away and he had uh, two-tenths of a mile? Or what, what would he have done if he ended up two-tenths of a mile away with nine-tenths on the odometer? What would he have done? Would he have just pushed the car home, I guess? You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> He pulled into the into the garage. My point is, he pulled into the garage with exactly nine tenths on the odometer. What yeah, would he have I, done if he? What would he have done if he landed like a half a mile away with that on the odometer? He would have had to push the car all the way home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's done that before though. <laughs> but yeah, yeah he said he, he backed oh, yeah. it into the garage. But I, either he planned it in advance, or if he had run out and didn't have enough, he would have just stopped and then either left it there and said no one touch it and then like stake out overnight next to it or something or reverse it back or uh, yeah push it all the way back so and then back into the garage and tuck it away yeah yeah you're totally right Annabelle we had we had an entire episode I think it was in season three if I'm not mistaken where he pushed the car almost the entire episode remember it kept breaking down <laughs> yes yeah season four yeah <laughs> four, yeah. oh yeah you're right what am I thinking it's not a big deal for him to push it <laughs> He's strong, yeah. It's how he maintains his physique and, get, and still impresses all the babes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, I was going to ask you, um, you might have discussed this on another episode, but there's a recurring theme in this season that Marcy's hair is very awful. And when she comes in, I'm sort of struck by, oh, her hair's still awful. I mean, it gets fixed soon, but at the moment it's still there. I'm just wondering what you thought about Marcy's hair this season. Uh, well, it doesn't look good. It reminds me of the. It reminds me of a of a haircut that you saw that was pretty popular in the U.S. in the mid '90s, and it was basically like a bowl cut. Uh, that's what people called it. You know, I mean, I I never had that hair. I don't have that style of hair. But it, you saw that haircut a lot on like mainly men, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a mean way. But that's just kind of what you saw. But yeah, I don't think it looks that great. <laughs> no, it does get better this season, but yeah, this sort of brown helmet thing that she's got going on is 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 it's not becoming. No, not Marcy's best look. Um, not her patch and say how she looked in say seasons two or three. Yeah, or even season seven, the season previously when she actually quite looked quite feminine. Yeah, yeah, Amanda Burse is you know we I know I know Alex and and the old you know the original crew uh, with Dan and Jamie and such. They've spoke about this before. Amanda Burse is an amazing actress. 
very very gifted actress because you know everybody by now probably knows that she's a lesbian in real life you know but she plays the part so well on here where obviously she's married to a man uh and she's a very masculine character but you know of course she's attracted to men on the show she plays it really really well and it's interesting you know her character arc how it changes over the season over the course of the seasons you know over the course of the show you know you mentioned seasons one two and three of course she was uh pretty feminine and on into around the midway mark of the show's run she was pretty feminine and then in the second half of the show's run she of course became much more masculine with her hair and her attire and things like that but Amanda Burse is a very gifted actress, uh, underrated, I think. Oh, I agree, totally. Yeah, it's completely believable. I agree, too. I mean, it just shows her strength as an actor. Yeah. And uh, Tyler also men- mentioned about her hair in another podcast, said that, you know, and, and Tyler likes her very much and said she's very cute and, you know, she can pull off these short hairdos. But this one in this season, perhaps not so much. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Amanda Burr, hey, I, I posted this one day on the on the podcast page on Facebook. I was like, hey, I'm not too proud to admit it. Amanda Burr, I mean, you know, outside of the show, Amanda Burr is hot. I mean, she, you know, on the show, obviously, her character and the way she dresses is not meant to be attractive. That's just kind yeah. of how it is. But outside of the show, Amanda Burr, you know, when she was younger, she was hot, man. She had it going on. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Oh, uh, she did. And, like, if you look at I was talking about how good-looking Bud was, but, yeah, if you look at David Faustino out of his Bud clothes, and uh, sometimes literally I mean that, he is smoking. Because, like, in, in the show, like, because he's of his small stature and whatever, like, he's actually quite a buff guy, but um, they always they dress him in clothes that are too big for him, especially sort of as the show goes along as well. He's always in clothes that are oversized or like, they sort of make him look more boyish. And it's a very interesting thing, actually. I mean, we could get way into, you know, costuming and whatever, but I think that's for another day. But it's just, it just reminds me of that. I mean, they're very much, the costuming on the show is always fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just just how it all works really really well, the whole show. I'm just, oh, they got so much right. I mean, you could write a book, you probably less less list of what they got wrong, to be honest. <laughs> I did it, Peg. 900. 99,999 and 9 tenths. Al has only one tenth of a mile to go before he comes home as Viper Man. But Marcy reminds him that he'll still be Al Bundy. That's the bottom line. To bask in the joys of anticipation. Sweeter, some say, than the actual catch. so calm. I mean, if it were my Dodge, I'd be worried that lightning was going to strike it or a tree was going to fall on it even before the camera crew could get here. I wouldn't be able to sleep a wink. And here you've got 12 hours to go and you're not even nervous. (laughs) That's the difference between you and me, Marcy. I'm not the worrying kind. That, and if I do this, it appears that I have breasts. need to do that. <laughs> Classic hand down the trousers moment. Classic hand down the trousers moment from Al. Uh, and then Marcy manages to eventually spook out into worrying about his car. Al initially responds by mocking Marcy's hooters. 
I tried doing the same trick myself, but I can't do it as well as Al can. I can do that. Marcy got him pretty good there, by the way. I was like, I thought that was a pretty good joke She did, by yes. Al. That was a pretty good joke by him, but I think she won that battle. She got him back pretty good there. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of hooters, I don't want to get too crass here, but in the very next scene, when Peg comes downstairs and it's night, is it just me, or do Peg's hooters look bigger than usual? Yes. Yes. You know what's funny is, because I'm... As we go through this, I watch the episode with no volume at all, so I'm following along. So I, all I see is just what's on the screen, and that was the first thing I noticed. And the reason why is because uh, Katie Seagal, of course, was pregnant here in real life. So yes. you'll notice uh, from, episode, from Season 8, Episode 1, all the way to Season 8, Episode 23 or 24, whatever it is, uh, you'll notice she has noticeable weight gain. Yeah, it's a, from about this episode on that she starts putting on weight. And yeah, that, that explains why she, she looks bustier than usual. So I'm glad it wasn't the only one who noticed, but that's what I can conclude. Yeah, Luigi and I, uh, we did, I, I think it was the second to last episode of the season. Or actually, it was the, the final episode to be taped, but uh, not the final one to air, if that makes sense. But, uh, oh, was it Algo State? Yep, that, that yep. was the one. And she was very noticeably pregnant there and yeah. we pointed we pointed out how they had her sitting down the entire episode or only shot basically from pretty much from like the mid mid torso up basically yeah and then they made her stand up and <laughs> she sort of leant on the table to get up and then had marcy walk in front of her sort of awkwardly yeah <laughs> yep exactly yeah but yeah good eye on that Yes, very good eye, and uh, yeah, so here on we see the typical sitcom trick of, uh, or TV trick of hiding a, a pregnant belly when the character isn't actually expecting or pregnant. Yeah, it's very interesting to see what they do, because sometimes they, they hide it well, sometimes they just don't bother very well. And then sometimes they write it into the show. Yeah. I mean, all honesty, I think they hit it pretty well. I mean, I really, until... Until, you know, I started following, you know, I mean, I, I binge watch the show once a year. That's just something I do. But I never really started analyzing it and thinking about it until this podcast came along. And I, I don't think I ever recalled noticing that she was pregnant during season eight before. So, I mean, I think they, you know, I think they hit it pretty well, personally. Yeah, and she timed it well as well because she's only away for a you know, four or five weeks at the start of season nine. It's season 10 when she has a baby in the middle of season 10 that it's it's more obvious. But we'll cross that when we get to it. Yeah, yeah. So going forward a few hours, Marcy actually is, has worried Al. He appears to be eating what looks like a turkey sandwich. Not a toothpaste sandwich. Going back to season three. Not a toast sandwich, as made popular around 10 years ago by some people looking for cheap food. It looks like turkey in there. And he can't even eat anymore because, oh, he's, he's just so petrified and it's um two in the morning. He, he's even called the police. None other than, I forgot to mention at the start of the episode, the legendary Dan Tullis Jr. is back as Officer Dan here. Someone call the police? We got a call about a shoot. Yes, I did, but I lied. See, I, I need someone to guard the Dodge and a cop is cheaper than a Doberman. <laughs> Officer Dan actually mentions that he's known Al for seven to eight years at this point and has arrested him 11 to 12 times. So he's basically known Al for as long as viewers have known the Bundys or 
possibly a year more, and he's arrested them at least once a year. <laughs> Officer Dan also mentions that no one wants his car. <laughs> at least. Anybody find it funny that Kelly is trying to find Waldo at two in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just going to look for him all night long? I mean... <laughs> That's true. I mean, <laughs> does she not realize there's an end to the game? I mean, you can't find him. Go to sleep. Maybe try again tomorrow. You know, it's like. <laughs> and she, uh, I love the way she looks at Officer Dan very closely. And so, hmm, never mind. Like, <laughs> like uh, yeah. it's someone co- complete opposite. Uh, where's Wally? Or the way where where's Wally looks in the books and <laughs> goes right up to Officer Dan, who clearly looks nothing like him. And studies him quite closely and. Never mind. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. What do you mean? I thought that was Waldo when Officer Dan first walked in. I oh, know. He had me fooled, too. <laughs> I thought it was him. Yeah. <laughs> I did, too. Uh, but, yes, that's our Kelly, always determined. Uh, in real life, I'm a bit like that. Um, I always try and get things done, but I would always, I would never go as far as miss sleep, especially not at 2 in the morning, and Bud's up as well. Dad, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. i got to take some tests tomorrow. Yeah, Dad, I gotta go to the doctors, too. Uh, kids, or should I say, lackeys of the Red Devil. I need your help. The Dodge is in trouble. So? Who hasn't been? Come, my children, and Kelly, to the garage. We'll guard the Dodge. We, proud Bundys Three, will guard against those who will pillage and plunder and joyride in the Dodge. Do we get to drive the Viper? No. Why well, should we help you guard the Dodge, then? Because we're family, damn it. <laughs> so are the Jacksons. Good night. <laughs> the Jackson family, of Michael and Janet and all the rest of them, they have a tendency of fighting with each other occasionally. I was like, oh, can't be bothered. Goes into the garage himself, whacks on the stereo, you hear a song playing. And that's when my hound dog started looking good to me. <laughs> Who was the genius that let West Virginia become a state? (laughs) Oh, God, that is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) History moment here for you all. For those who aren't familiar with American history, um, if it wasn't for the American Civil War, West Virginia would never have split from Virginia and would still not be a state. It only split in 1863 during the Civil War. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's no surprise. Uh, I've driven through that area of the country, though. West Virginia is really pretty. It's just very, uh, very country, very back home, that type of thing. Uh, West Virginia, another thing West Virginia is known for. Uh, do, do you know? Uh, do, you, do you guys know what the word moonshine means? Yeah. Moonshine? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if that's a word that's really used <laughs> outside of the U.S. much, but. Uh, West Virginia is known for their moonshine, which is kind of funny. But is it uh, boot, bootleg moonshine, or <laughs> uh, probably? I mean, I've never drank drink it drank it before. It's just something that you always hear. And I actually have some friends. Uh, you know, by the way, I'm a flight attendant. Uh, for people who don't know, I guess that might be listening, whatever. But and I, I have friends from all over, and uh, I have some friends from West Virginia, and they talk about moonshine. <laughs> so it's like. Must must be a pretty big deal there. <laughs> when he drove through there, did you sing Take Me Home Country Road To the, to place, the place I belong West, West Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. Mountain Mama I, I have a 
girlfriend from there, I always sing that song to her. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, I get so tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Every person who talks to me sings that stupid song. <laughs> well, now you can play. And that's when my hound dog started looking good to me. Yeah. I love that that's a joke that's carried over from, what, five episodes previously in The Worst Noel, the Christmas episode, where they had three Christmas songs available on CD, cassette, and yes, eight track. And they all sounded exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys ever want a good laugh, watch an episode like this with no volume, because like, I'm watching it right now as we're going through it. And it's the scene where Al is sitting on the chair doing his impressions. Oh. <laughs> and, it, and it's just him sitting there shooting his belly in and out. And it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> with, with no sound. Marlon Brando. Oh. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Elvis. Refrigerator Perry. Elizabeth Taylor. I think that I think that scene might actually be funnier without sound than with sound. <laughs> it might be, but that's the scene that taught me who Refrigerator Perry was. Ah, okay. Because before this, I had no idea, because uh, clearly I follow American football. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of him, but because of that episode, I, I looked him up one day, and I'm like, aha, he was known as the refrigerator. You know something that didn't make sense about this to me is how did Al, the time of 6 a.m. as the cutoff is where he needs to stay awake until? It, it doesn't make any sense that i mean because the dealership's not going to come by there at six in the morning i wouldn't think that's too early in the day you know and unless i missed something the guy that the guy never said what time they were coming by did he he never said 6 a.m like why why did al pick 6 a.m no. as the time he needs to stay awake like that's <laughs> because what? if anything it's at 6 a.m he he would because they're probably not going to get there before 9 a.m so he has to stay awake three more hours or go take a nap or something you know <laughs> Yeah, it's not really ex explained, but he does say on the phone, see you in the morning. But, of course, you think, you know, a normal time, like at least 9 o'clock. I don't know why. I guess Al, Al just wanted to beat the night. Yeah, and also 6 a.m. might be when daybreak might have been that day. So um, Al was probably mm. just waiting for the sun to come up. Yeah. You know, a normal person a normal person would have just went to bed. I mean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, then... care what, I, don't, I don't care what Marcy said to me. I would have just went to bed. <laughs> Oh, but Marcy voodooed him. Yeah, that's true. So after his four hours of celebrity impressions of Owl's belly and Mooters, or Man Hooters, still look the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't say moves, I say Mooters. I've actually taught a few friends of mine the term Mooters. So you don't say man boobs? I say, I say Man Hooters instead. Um, I mean, I used, to, I, I used to have them myself, but they've since faded. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I had never heard that word before until now. When you said the first couple of times you said it, I was like, "Mooters? What is he talking about?" <laughs> I mean, this show did teach, teach me the word hooters, so um, it was kind of inevitable for me to turn hooters into mooters to refer to man boobs. You know what's funny is, you know, I've told Luigi this before, but I, my family, I have no idea why they let me watch Married with Children when I was a kid. I mean, I, I certainly started watching it way too young. But the good thing is I didn't understand most of the adult jokes, you know. 
Mm. I just watched it because it was crazy. It was funny. It was crazy, you know, seeing Santa fall from a pair, you know, Santa fall during parachuting and things like that were crazy, wild and crazy, you know. But one word that I picked up on was Hooters. <laughs> and I started using that at an age way too young. And uh, I, I, my mom, my mom heard me say that one time, and I got in trouble and couldn't watch Married with Children for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that word. It's a bad word. It's a funny <laughs> but, word. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Do you guys have uh, the restaurant Hooters there in Australia? Is that a franchise there? No. No, we don't have it here. I don't. I didn't know of it. Okay. Yeah, Hooters. It's actually not that big anymore. I, I think it's sort of like dying a slow death because there's so many other themed restaurants that are similar, that are newer, that are kind of beating it out now. Uh, we have this place called Bombshells. We have this place called Twin Peaks. Uh, you can probably guess what the peaks are. Yeah. We, have, we, have, we have this place called uh, Bikinis. These are all newer brands that have popped up just really in the past 10 years or so. Uh, but there's still one Hooters in, but they're not as big as they were back in the 1990s. Hooter, Hooters, the restaurant, was really, really big then. You know, you saw them everywhere. <laughs> I remember there's a, an episode of Roseanne where uh, Becky, uh, the replacement Becky, Scrubs Becky, she gets a job at a restaurant called Buns. Like, it's obviously a Hooters ripoff, but it's called Buns. <laughs> they couldn't use the word Hooters for the restaurant, but so she got a job at Buns restaurant. Buns. <laughs> B-U-N-Z, buns. I'm kind of surprised that, uh, especially towards the end of the show, I'm kind of surprised that Al and the Nomam crew never went to Hooters. I mean, you know, they could have paid the money for the trademark or whatever it might have been, or, you know, I, I don't know what, how, how that would have worked rights-wise. That totally, like, uh, Al with his Nomam group, it would have made sense, you know, season 9 or 10 or 11 to go to go eat at Hooters, you know what I mean? Great. Would have been funny. Yeah, I I agree. I I can only think of I can only think that it did cost too much money to use the name or uh use the trademarks, so they just referred to everything as a, a nudie bar or whatever and keep it cheap, but yeah, it is a bit of a shame, I mean, cuz oh look Hooters. Yeah. I mean, they could have done a send-off of Hooters like South Park did in 2003 in the episode called Raisins, which is about a parody of um, Hooters called Raisins, which um, all the chicks are basically primary school aged, and uh, one of the um, South Park boys developed a crush on one of the um, waitresses. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's how I first about, heard about Hooters by the South Park parody Raisins. It didn't really stick to me, the term Hooters, until the following year when I was um, six. Um, when I discovered Married to Children. So I watched South Park at 15. Hooters didn't stick then. Took me the following year. Just watched Married to Children. It stuck to me then. Matt, I just found a Hooters Australia restaurant. Is that the one in Queensland? I know there's never, never one in Perth. Hootersaustralia.com.au. It's in Parramatta. And that's it. <laughs> oh, Sydney. I think there was, was one in the Gold Coast, but it must have gone belly up or bust or bankrupt or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it, it does say here, Hooters makes you happy. Come visit us in Penrith, Parramatta, Campbelltown, Gold Coast, and soon to a town near you. Not likely. No. Besides, uh, there are plenty of good places to get good chicken wings here in Perth for everyone who wants to come visit us one day. 6am. I did it! I beat the night! So the moment has come. It is 6.01. Uh, how does that clock alarm work? And Al was all, all, all pumped. Right after the alarm went off, it was in a couple of seconds and it turned to 6.01. So did it go off 
isn't an alarm like that, a clock like that, supposed to go off right when it turns to six? Yeah, that's how all alarms work, whether they're on a phone, an actual alarm clock, a radio, whatever. That's how they're all meant to work. But this one waited about 57 seconds before it went off. It's Al Bundy's house. Of course it's not meant to be fully functional. Oh, of course. What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) Al gets into the Dodge. I'll never have to work again. I'll just drive my Viper. I'll drive it here and there, to and fro, out and about. And to my millions of fans, I'll be known as Le Grand Vipe. But you hate the French owl. Why, why did you choose a French name? I'll be famous. I'll fight crime. If it doesn't scratch the paint. <laughs> and he goes on about fighting crime if it doesn't scratch the paint. Possible Batman reference? I don't know. But then... Al's good work is undone when he accidentally, his hand falls on the gear lever, knocks it out of park, which you wouldn't have that problem in my car, so looks like I'm getting a new Mazda and you're not getting a new Dodge Al. And the poor Dodge, which obviously had the handbrake off, otherwise it wouldn't be rolling, it rolls out the driveway through the open garage door. Oh, big audience groan. (laughs) Now we knew something was going to go wrong because it's Al. Yeah. This would have been one of his great moments of glory, but sadly, he was stupid enough to be an irresponsible car owner, not put the handbrake on, and also, too knackered, clunk, gear leave out of park. I don't know about your cars, but I wouldn't have that problem in my car. You'd have to be, well, really out of it to knock it out of park with it turned off. So does that mean his handbrake was off and he, he just knocked it into gear or he knocked it into... Because I forget how those gears on the steering wheel work, the old cars like that. Must have been off, it had to be rolled away. With a, with a column shift, I'm assuming it's an auto- automatic. I, I can answer that question. What, what, I, when you say his handbrake is off, you're probably referring to like as his emergency brake. Yeah, parking brake. Yeah, parking brake. We, we don't really use those in the United States uh, unless you uh, – so that's another thing. Like, I, you know, when I went to Sydney a couple of years ago – all right, I got a funny story, and I'll try to make this short, but – <laughs> I, I had never set a parking brake in my life until I went to Australia. Not once, ever. We don't use those here unless you – like if you live on the side of a mountain or in an in a area of the U.S. that has elevation, you probably use it. But the vast majority of Americans don't use it when they park. Uh, I, when I rented a car there – I drove around with the parking brake partially engaged for over a day before I realized it was engaged. <laughs> it wasn't engaged all the way, though. It was It was just like, you know how you could like pull it slightly up? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, how, how much uh, damage was done? Not enough to make the car stop. Or, or none, because yeah. it was just like up one little notch. But it was making a slight little beep, and, it, and the, the icon on the screen made it look like there was a flat tire. So I went around, like, filling the tires up with air. I must have stopped five times. And finally, I figured out that it was the par- the parking in, uh, brake because the, the couple I was staying with, with was like, hey, mate, your parking brake is engaged. And I was <laughs> like, why would they engage the parking brake when it's just parked at the airport? They're like, you don't, you don't put your brake, engage your parking brake? I'm like, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I had, and, and, you know, while I was there, I was with them for, you know, about 10 days. 
and I just got in the habit of doing it because everybody else is doing it. They're like, hey, mate, you need to put your brake on. <laughs> I'm like, why? But finally, I just did it because everyone else was. But, yeah, we don't do that here. So it makes sense that if Al were sitting in his driveway, I mean, none of this makes sense, but it, it makes sense in the tele TV world in the U.S. that if he were just sitting there and accidentally knocked it into drive or knocked it into neutral even, that the car could just roll down the, down the driveway uh, because we don't set our par parking brakes here. It's like a cultural thing, basically. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, Chris didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, no dumb, no damage was done to the rental car because it was only like very partly engaged. But since we're talking about him rolling down the driveway, I have another question. <laughs> so he, we know he was at nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine miles and nine tenths. Yep. And Peggy, Peggy's saying now that after the little mishap, he's at nine tenths of a mile. Does that mean his driveway is one mile long? Ah, I just noticed that too, because um, his driveway can't be that long. He rolled a whole mile, so they must have sub he must have steered the car in his sleep or something. Yeah, I, I just picture him just like asleep at the wheel, and the car just kept going, and he woke up way too late. Yeah, either the car, either the driveway is exactly one mile long, or he somehow <laughs> steered it, or just by pure coincidence, his house happens to be on a corner where there's a road at the end of his driveway that goes at least a mile <laughs> just by pure luck basically <laughs> it's like that doesn't make any sense like how can he roll a mile but whatever <laughs> well he fell asleep and then the dodge rolled out of the driveway so now the odometer reads zero 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 and nine tenths which means no commercial and no new car hey, hang on I think I see Wally. Huh. He's been found? Huh? Sadly, Wally or Waldo's been uncredited. Uh, so we don't know who played him. Obviously, some, perhaps an extra, perhaps some, someone of the production crew, just anyone who was happily put on a Wally costume. We, we'll, nev we'll never know. He does have a familiar look about him. So I was looking at him like, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, but doesn't look like anyone who became famous. <laughs> Man, that Waldo for Kelly is amazing, isn't it? It's just simple and goofy, but funny because it's something she would do, you know? <laughs> you know, a lot of times when we have these parts played by people and they're not credited or they're just like background people or whatever, a lot of times I assume uh, that they're production people or sometimes somehow related to production people in some way, you know? Yeah, a lot of crew members. He does steal a few audience laughs when he's just, after Kelly says, how did he finally stop? and Wally, he almost goes a bit cross-eyed for a minute, and then he sort of looks around again, and it makes the audience laugh. It made me laugh, too. Well, how did he finally stop? <laughs> well, luckily, there was a brand new foreign car parked outside, which had finally been fixed but never driven. So we find out that Al's Dodge stopped when it crashed into a foreign car. Oh, Marcy and Jefferson. So it looks like it's got off to Stuttgart again. And but the Dodge Company wouldn't leave Al empty handed. He got a car phone, which we never hear or see again after this. And Al, speaking of um his car, he's driving in it again. I'm here in Burnt Scrotum, New Mexico. <laughs> the sadly not real town of Burnt Scrotum, New Mexico. I looked it up, it's not a real place. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. I love the names for places they make up on this show. It's brilliant. He's already driven over a thousand miles, um, a thousand one hundred twenty-one miles, just from Chicago to the Texas-New Mexico border, assuming he went via Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas. I, I, I could be totally wrong. I would think that would from Chicago all the way down to somewhere in New Mexico. I would assume that would be further than a thousand miles. But correct. I, I looked it up in Google Maps. It's 1,121 miles just to the Texas-New Mexico border. So not even, say, Albuquerque or Santa Fe or um, Roswell or other towns in New Mexico. This just to the border. Because you'd have to go even further to get deeper into New Mexico. Yeah. I, I suppose we don't actually know exactly where burnt scrotum is supposed to be. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish that were a, a, a real place. Although I would think burnt scrotum would be in Arizona if we were talking about, like, the actual hottest states, you know. Uh, I know I was messaging Annabelle uh, just recently about how hot it is in Houston. Arizona is actually hotter than Texas, but it's not as humid, so it doesn't really feel as hot, so to speak. But I would think burnt scrotum would be in Arizona, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, so, me. I mean, where I live, gets it's very cold and wet here, um, here in Perth. In our summer, especially in January and February, days over 100 degrees Fahrenheit are quite common, and no humidity either, so our summers are long, hot, and dry. Uh, so I'll be splitting my time between the nudie bar and the beach. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Yeah, our, hot, our summers are hot, long, and very humid, so you sweat a lot. It's, it's just relentless. Uh, really, the whole month of July and August is where it's bad. By the time we get to... The middle of October, at that point, I could probably get away with not running the air conditioner all day or all night, you know? So it, get, it starts cooling off a little bit. <laughs> well, our, our summers, as you're probably aware, are December, January, and February. But our hottest months, at least in Adelaide, are always November and March. They bookend the season of summer without actually being in summer. And that's when we get some of our hottest temperatures on record. You know, they're the ones that reach, you know, 45 Celsius or the further inland you go, it's hotter. Wherever Al's driving, it's probably so hot and someone burnt their scrotum and said, let's name a town after this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I was just going to say, how did they come up with the name Dumpwater, Florida, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense because half of Florida is swamp, especially in the northern bits. So it makes, you know, the Bundys, there's obviously a dump, the water. <laughs> that's true that's true yeah so he's already driven a thousand miles and assuming Al drives a thousand miles every day the Dodge Viper would be his by 1997 okay hey so he could have worked it out by the by the end of the show basically yeah he could have got his um, Viper in the, in the series finale <laughs> the series finale we never got <laughs> yes but he's still driving in the end credits you don't see that on DVD on, or uh, syndication, to my knowledge, anyway, anymore. No. Makes me feel sad, because I, I actually remember, the first time I watched this episode, it was of a, um, you know, it was somewhere between 07 and 08, and I watched it on my laptop with a um, copy that had been taped off TV, and I distinctly remember watching Al's car driving through the desert, so it's a mere memory of mine burnt in from 12 years ago, so just keeping it warm, so I always feel cheated watching the end of this episode. Well, Bundiana to the rescue. I do have the footage of that end credit scene, and you can now find it on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Bundiana. Yes! 
And if you can't find it there, it's highly possible it's been blocked in your country, which, well, I can only apologise for, but that's YouTube for you. One of the truest crimes of TV, butchering the classic endings of um, this show, especially because there were quite a few of these in the later years. And uh, like I said, um, it'll always be burned into my memory just watching Al drive through the um, New Mexican desert. Or he might have been in Arizona by then. <laughs> just want to mention before we get into the ratings, to, I, can, I can vouch for Anna, Annabelle's credit, um, comment about um, Adelaide Marches being hot. I was there last March for a long weekend and uh, I remember walking around the city in 40 degree heat. Um, basically all day, 50,000 steps in 40 degree heat, um, Chris. You're crazy. Yeah. How else am I meant to um, keep my good figure for eating all of Adelaide's delicious food? Oh, true. Man, you guys have got me really wanting to visit Adelaide and Perth now. That sound like two pretty cool cities. Uh, but just to add what you were saying, I uh, when I visited Sydney a few years ago, it was uh, in early February, and I remember it being pretty hot. Um, it wasn't as humid as what Houston is, uh, so I wasn't as sweating as much, but I remember it being hot. I remember getting sunburns on, you know, on the top of my head. I ended up having to buy a hat. <laughs> I, I, bought, I bought this really, I bought this really cool hat. Uh, it's kind of cool. It was made, uh, had a, had a picture of a kangaroo on the inside of it. <laughs> of course. And regular listeners will know that you will soon get to come back to Australia at some point. When they finally let people travel again? Yeah, hopefully. I, uh, for people who don't know, I was uh, I was a contestant on a, a popular American game show called The Price Is Right, and uh, I won, um, amongst other things, I won a uh, six day vacation to Sydney, Australia, uh, all expense paid. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, if they ever open the borders, if things ever return to normal. <laughs> yeah, I hope they honor that. They better. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Yeah, looking forward to that. No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Alrighty, so uh, how many times are you taking your European sports car to Stuttgart for this episode? Uh, Anna. Okay, I am going to take my European sports car to Stuttgart for repairs four and a half times. I think this is a pretty great episode. Very pleasantly surprised that there was a lot of interest in this one. It's one that I've I've never really considered that, oh, it's it's quite a, a standout episode in a lot of ways. And I think it is. And I think through this podcast, and I've sort of uh, got a deeper appreciation for it. Not that I didn't unappreciate it or depreciate it. It's a really good episode. I love the subplot of Kelly finding Waldo and that actually paying off that she did actually find Waldo or Wally if you're an Australian or a British person. That was a great payoff. It's very silly, but it completely works. Um, Al's his dodge crossing the one million mark. Yeah, it's believable because he's had this dodge for an obscene amount of time, but we're forgetting that this, this show is a, a live cartoon, so we can suspend disbelief in places, you know, here and there. And, you know, whatever's going to work, whatever serves the story well, 
it, it's going to be fine. So where it loses half a star, I just, you know, we know Al's going to do something or something's going to happen to Al that it's not going to turn out right for him. And we know he's not going to win a fancy new car because he's Al Bundy. But for him to sort of fall asleep at the wheel and just like his hand drops off without him feeling it and then rolls out of the drive, it's slightly contrived. I do believe it and I feel sorry for him. And I'm sort of like, what else could they have done in that situation? It sort of makes me think, were there other things they could have done there? So that's about the only downside for me. It's a fun episode. It's snappy. It's got lots of great lines and Al's impressions in the garage. My favorite joke in the whole episode is probably the country music that Al turns on. It's just such a, a quick joke, but it's just so funny. So yeah, I'm going to give it four and a half. Very well said, Anna. Very well said. A nice analysis. Uh, very much up there for me too. But before we get to my rating, Chris, how many times are you taking your European sports car to Stuttgart to get repaired? Well, I am going to agree with Anna and take my sports car, my European sports car, four and a half times. Um, I really, really like this episode. Uh, it's to me one of, if not my favorite episodes from season eight. Uh, I think it's exceptional. It, it, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that it's it's one of the most easily referenceable, uh, or reference, I just created a word. <laughs> it's one of the most <laughs> easy episodes to reference in the whole series. Like, you know, most people don't remember the titles of the episodes. In fact, I don't remember the titles of most of them. But to any Married with Children fan, I can just say the Million Mile Dodge episode or the episode where uh, – Al's Dodge passes a million miles, and they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I thought the episode was really well written. It was it was uh, it was well shown. The A plot, B plot were both good. Um, they don't really do much with uh, with Bud in this episode, other than the opening scene, and they don't really do much with Marcy and Jefferson, uh, for, other than the you know the brief exchange between uh, Al and Marcy in the one scene there. Uh, aside from that, I probably would have given it a five, but Man, this is a really good episode. And more than anything, that the reason I like this episode is it's a good episode to show someone who's never watched Married with Children. Because, like, if someone were to walk up to me and say, hey, Chris, uh, why do you like Married with Children so much? I might pop in the gas station episode. I might pop in the, the uh, You Better Shop Around episode, you know, the two-parter in season five. Or I might pop in this one. Uh this one, this episode, more than 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 most, show the plight of Al Bundy, where he's so close to winning, and you just want to root for him, man. Like you know, as a fan of Al, you get excited for him. You're like, man, he's gonna get that dodge, you know, and you just get excited for him. You know, he's so close to getting it, but he just can't do it. You know what I mean? So this 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 episode to me shows almost like the Bundy curse or something. Even when it looks like he's gonna get it, you know, he still can't get it. Good episode in my book. One of the one of the highlights of season eight. I give it a four point five, and uh, it's one I'll be watching many times uh, for the rest of my life. That's for sure. So, and uh, before I go, by the way, I wanted to uh, reiterate earlier. Uh, thank you to Annabelle, and thank you to you, Matt, for having me on. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to to finally uh, work with Annabelle. Uh, you know, Matt. I know we just we just met first started just started talking, but. Annabelle, you know, I've spoke to for a while, and she's someone who's contributed to the Married with Children fan base and franchise for a really long time. You know, way back in in the infancy of the of the internet, you know, it's like 
sites I used to look at years ago, way before the podcast and pages I used to look at years ago. I had no earthly idea that Annabelle ran them or was involved in them, you know. So thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. It's been a pleasure and it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you too, Chris, um, and thank you for your um, review too. But we still got to have my thoughts in the episode. So, I'm going to be taking my European sports car to Stuttgart for repairs again four and a half times. Well, for me, um, I love this episode. It's one that's always stuck with me over the years. I mean, because, I mean, I've, I love almost all, every episode of Married to Children, but this is the one that's one of the few that's always stuck with me, especially in the latest episodes of the series, what I call season eight onwards, what, um, the latter days of the series. Uh, it's not quite, as you mentioned, the gas station show, Wolf of the Sun, uh, we, You Better Shop Around, Two for Consequences, Hot of the Grill tier for me. Not quite that five out of five legendary tier, but it's still really up there, even with um, as you mentioned, Bud and the Darcy's not really being in it. Just the whole um, saga about Alan his car makes it for me, and uh, how he's de- determined to his drive to win, even though he, he probably subconsciously knows he can't because of the Bundy curse and all that. Um, how he ne- determined never to give up by driving. Kelly looking for Where's Wally? That brought back childhood memories for me because uh, Where's Wally was massive when I was in primary school. Uh, yes. Uh, and also many of the many of the reasons you two mentioned Adam and Chris are reasons that why I love it as well. So there you have it, four and a half all around. Fantastic, awesome. All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now. The last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. Here we are. It's time to get out of Dodge, guys. This is the 17th show with the new rotating hosts. God, it flew by, huh? Well, let's get to this one. So, this clapper joke. I didn't like the clapper joke when Bud was doing it and the girl did it. Oh, Bud. And, you know, like, no, you don't understand, Bud. I'm going to get in trouble. Like, that got a little, like, uh, eh. But it all paid off with the double smack to the face, uh, turning the radio back on. Remember how I always talked about Married with Children tropes and how we really didn't have them in those earlier seasons? Like the four touchdowns in one game, and that's where they really like dabbled a little extra. Then it was the shoe store, and you know we were done hosting it by the time that really kicked in. It kicked in this season, obviously. Now they're really deep diving into the dodge a little bit more. And the other trope that was never introduced till season eight was uh, no ma'am and things like that. So, but the Dodge trope is one of the great ones. And this is one of the episodes where it really was realized what fun you can have with that car. They dabbled with it too, but it's going to go a lot harder from here on out. Not every episode, but it will. Kelly looking for Waldo. Wow. Uh, and what a shocker at the end. Al putting the ad in the paper and those whack jobs showing up at the door. Like, 
What a great combination of people, like to put a body in the trunk, that's all they would use it for, or put a, to blow it up, that's all they would use it for. Just great, great writing. The Married Children's really good at like exhausting every avenue when looking for jokes for a certain topic. The Dodge is almost at 1 million miles, and people make fun of that car? Al's going to win a 1994 Dodge Viper if they tape him when the odometer goes to all zeros. When Al said he was staring at that model's cleavage, he clearly wasn't. I mean, Ed O'Neill wasn't comfortable just doing it. I I swear he did it before. Didn't he do it to Tracy Lords when he said, if they were mine, I'd brush them too? Al goes to 999, 999.910 miles. Like, why would you do that? Like, why wouldn't you just wait till there's a mile and say, all right, guys, let's let's head out and uh, make a big deal out of the whole ride and the buildup. Like, I, I don't even understand <laughs> what he did here. And I don't even know how he got it that perfect and it still was able to get parked in the garage. Like, did he even have that planned out where he hit something and then he knew how many, how far it was back to the garage? Officer Dan, always a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> when the radio starts playing and the guy and the guy goes, and that's when my hound dog started looking good. <laughs> that's funny because I don't know if this show shaped who I am as a person, but that's exactly what I think country music is. Sorry for all you country music fans, and I have a few friends who are, and yeah, I just don't get it. To me, I hear this song that played on this episode every time uh, I think of country music. Al stays up all night till 6 a.m., falls asleep, hits the uh, shift knob, and the car rolls out of the driveway, passing the 100, I mean, uh, 1 million mile mark. Kelly finds Waldo. I mean, wow. You know, again, you all laughed, but she found him. So who's the dummy now? Icing on the cake, Al hits Jefferson and Marcy's car. Uh, so that was an interesting dynamic, you know. Um, you think that we're just going to talk about Jefferson and Marcy's car just because we're talking about Al's car, but they actually weaved it into the final punch of the episode, or the cherry on top, whatever you want to really, however you want to word it. But yeah, who would have thought that that's what they were doing? I think that's pretty interesting. I give them an A for effort there. So overall, I give this rating a four out of five. I really liked it. It's a pretty classic episode. Uh, Not amazing enough to get a 5 out of 5. Definitely solid. That's Al, folks! Yes, agreed. Uh, And I also say thank you for great to work with you for the first time, Chris. Uh, I haven't been a fan for as long as either you or Anna have, but I've still been a fan for quite a long time, and I'm still very much honored to do all this myself. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun fun working with you, man. Honored to hear that, Chris. Definitely. Yeah, mate, for sure. Uh, trying to do my best um, full bore Australian accent there, um, Chris. Ah, fair, thank you. Well, that's it from the Australian nudie bar. Tune in next week on the Merit of Children podcast as it reviews Field of Screens, which is also being done by Team Australia. Australia! Australia! Team America reference for those who don't know. <laughs> Al opposes the proposed destruction of his old high school football field to build a new automotive plant, initiated by Marcy and the Kyoto Bank, by chaining himself to the goalpost of Polkai Field. Meanwhile, 
Buck and Bud suffer from unusual side effects after Kelly the Verminator sprays them with a new pesticide called Springtime in Baghdad. That's next week on the Marlier Deux Enfants podcast. Awesome, man. Cool. And with that, see you all next week.